I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing transfers. I know it's not quite transfer silly season. I know we're not quite there just yet, but over the last few days and over the past couple of weeks, to be honest, there have been a lot of rumours going around about Arsenal Football Club with regards to potential incomings, with regards to potential outgoings. And so I felt that given there are so many stories, given there are so many rumours, um, this would be a good time to just kind of bring all of those stories together into one place, into one podcast, into one show. Uh, try and make sense of them, discuss them, share our views and opinions on them. And I look forward to doing that with those of you in the chat box, of course. Um, and yeah, I figured it would be a, a good show to do today because a number of names have been linked with the club, names that we've heard before. No real major surprises in terms of the names that we're going to talk about on this edition of the show. But the futures of a number of current Arsenal players are seemingly up in the air. I was listening to a really, really interesting edition of the Athletic uh, Football podcast today where they did focus on Arsenal. David Ornstein was on there. Uh, Adrian Clark, friend of the show, was on there as well. And... They were talking about the next phase for Arsenal. You know, what does the next phase look like in terms of Arsenal building and looking to get better and better? And does there come a point where some of these young, promising players that we like and we love and we adore and, and obviously we have a strong bond with because of how they've come through the ranks and through the academy? But do we get to a point pretty soon where we have to be ruthless in the way that all good sides and big sides are? Do we get to the point where we have to accept that some of those players are going to have to move on? And it just got me thinking about the transfer window. And, you know, every transfer window needs a lot of thought. Every transfer window needs a lot of investment. Every transfer window drives me mad because I spend most of my summer reading stories knowing full well that probably 75% of them aren't ever going to amount to anything. So it is a, a difficult time, a frustrating time. And I've tried for a long, long time actually to avoid the transfer talk. We've done it here and there, bits and pieces, but we've kind of tried to stay away from it because the focus needs to be on the season. And I'm not saying the season's done. It's by no means done. Arsenal could still win the Premier League. It's not impossible, very unlikely, uh, granted at this point, but it's not impossible. But because of the fact that it feels like the title has slipped away, it has got me thinking about, what we can do in the summer, what we should do in the summer, what we probably need to do in the summer. And that's not because I've written off the rest of the season. It's because when you see a team like Manchester City click into gear just at the right time and have extra levels to go into that we clearly don't, it makes you think naturally, doesn't it? And I've said this to you guys recently. It gets you thinking, what can we do to close that gap? What can we do to be as good as them? What can we do... Um, to to get to that level, what can we do to have a squad that is remotely close to being as as deep and as talented as as what Manchester City and Pep Guardiola have at their disposal? So the transfer window has been on my mind, and that's why that combined with all the rumours, all the stories that we're hearing, reading, seeing, 
uh, have prompted me to do this this edition of the podcast. Looking forward to taking your questions as well and your thoughts from the chat box. Big hello uh, to Jimmy Flo, who says, uh, hey, Harry, it's good to see you, mate. Good to see you too. Uh, Joey says, Harry, hello from Stateside again. I just wanted to say thank you again for all that you do for us and congratulations on all the platforms and publications you are a part of. Exciting stuff, mate. Thank you so much. But it's me that should be thanking you guys because without the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, I wouldn't have had any of the opportunities that I've had so far to work in the kind of mainstream media. And I wouldn't have been able to build to a point where I am lucky enough to do this as a full-time job. Now, I know that it probably won't last forever. And so I'm enjoying the ride or trying to anyway. Um, but it's you guys um, that I should be thanking, not the other way around. Um, I really appreciate all the support. Uh, big hello to Steve, uh, to Chris, to Nav, who's with us, to Christoph. Uh, we've got Abdullah in the chat. Mohammed is there as well. Um, let's see what you guys are saying. Big hello to Mohammed too. I uh, hope you're well, my friend. Uh, Abdullah says, with all the other signings, we need a striker to compete with Jesus and who's ready to come in if he gets injured. Uh, Edu not on the level. I think you meant Eddie is not on the level, even when he is in the form of his life. I don't think Edu uh, will be going to play up front for Arsenal anytime soon. Uh, Mohamed Rahman says, whatever happens, it's been a good season. Initial aim was to get into the top four. Uh, now that we've achieved that and have Champions League, Next year, this allows us for this allows for us to be able to entice those bigger names to come and join us. I agree. Puts us in a much better negotiating position. It makes us a much bigger appeal. Arsenal's always been a big appeal anyway, uh, and a big draw anyway. Remember those famous lines? Um, when the Arsenal knock, it sounds different, all of that stuff. Uh, but with Champions League football, obviously, it puts us in a great position. People will be looking at Arsenal and will be impressed by how far they've come. They'll be looking at the job that Mikel Arteta has done and they'll probably think, I want to be a part of that. Add to that the London factor, all the rest of it. There is lots and lots um, of, of sort of positives when it comes to players and, and maybe their considerations as to where they're going to end up. Arsenal certainly will be at the top or near to the top of the list of a lot of people. What I will say is, you know, a lot of people are talking at the moment about Arsenal going, well, we've made the Champions League now. We have to continue with this level of investment. And I think that will happen in terms of the money we spend. But I think what you're probably going to see is a reduction in the number of players that we bring in. Because in order to get the very best players, we're going to have to um, we're going to have to pay bigger money to get them. And if we spend bigger money on individuals, it means as a collective, we're probably not going to be able to build as much. So. I think we've got to be prepared for that. I think wages are going to be a, a bigger problem for us, maybe, than transfer fees. Um, you know, I know that a lot of the players in the current group um, and uh, and in the current crop have clauses in their contracts whereby being back in the Champions League means they get a bump up in salary. So it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal do this, how Arsenal navigate this. Uh, how Arsenal make it happen, because you've got to remember as well that we're going to have to sell players too. We're going to have to move players on. Some tough decisions are going to have to be taken. I think somebody like following Balogun is one that you'd look at and, and, and you have to weigh up whether it's worth keeping him as a second choice striker. Um, you know, that's got to be something that the club are willing to do, but it's got to be something that he's willing to do as well. And it's got to be a role that he's willing to play. Or do you cash in on him now, while the iron's hot, 
similar to the way that we did when uh, Joe Willock had gone out on loan, done very, very well, impressed people. And all of a sudden there was a demand for him. We made the decision at that point that we probably would never get another chance to cash in £35 million or whatever it was on somebody like Joe Willock. Because if he did come back to Arsenal, been on the peripheries of the team, not played all that much, then his value automatically would have decreased. He was almost at his ceiling in terms of value, given that he wasn't going to play regularly for Arsenal. So that was a situation in which I didn't really want to see the player go because I think he has something. But at the same time, I understand exactly why Arsenal took that decision. And there are going to be players that that's going to be the case with this summer, for sure. I think Balogun probably will be one of them. I know there are people out there that really do want to see him come back and get a chance, myself included. But from a business point of view, if someone, a Bundesliga club, are talking 35, 40 million euros for him, given where he was at 12 months ago, you probably go, yeah, you know what? I'll do that. I'll take that or cash in. So it's going to be interesting, you know, to see how Arsenal, A, go out and, and strengthen the squad because what you want to do is you want to add numbers, um, but you also want to add quality. That means you're going to have to lose people. But when you lose people, you have to make sure that you're backing that up by bringing in the right people for the right positions. Because I, I still think that even like right now, we've probably got a squad of like 14, 15, maybe that you'd say are good enough to start. But that makes us okay in some positions, you know, left back being a prime example of that. But it makes us weak in others. You've got to factor in injuries. Um, and, you know, injuries, of course, is a big problem now, not just the injury to William Saliba, but the injury to Takahiro Tomiyasu too, because I don't think we'd have been as badly impacted by Saliba's injury had the Japanese international not been out as well, because that meant that we couldn't put him at centre-back. We couldn't put Ben White at centre-back and him at right-back. Uh, you know, it, there's there's been a number of factors here. But when you're building the squad, you can't account for every single thing and every single eventuality, but you want to be as best protected against those things as you possibly can be. And so that's the next phase. That's the next stage. But there are going to be players that are unhappy with that. There are going to be players that won't be satisfied with their role. And that's another difficult thing that you have going into transfer windows, finding players who are good enough to backfill, but also are coming in on the knowledge that they're going to be backfillers. And they have to be quite satisfied with that. Now, what I will say about Mikel Arteta is I think he is someone who picks players on merit. And if you can get that message across, there will be players that will come there knowing that that will be their initial role, but will have that ambition and that drive to push and work hard, knowing that there's a good chance that they could end up taking on that role. And and that, you know, is not impossible. That is a possibility. You know, it, particularly if you're coming from a club smaller than Arsenal. So a, a good example of that will be Leandro Trossard, right? Leandro Trossard came in from Brighton. Good player, really good Premier League player. Been there, done it, proven himself in this division. Would have known when he came to the club that he wouldn't have started every single week or at least initially he wasn't going to start every single week. Understood his role, but was willing to play a role whereby he'll get opportunities, he'll fight for a place, knowing that he's going to a bigger club. And that's where it comes down to sort of your recruitment being smart. And, you know, if you do raid clubs that are smaller than you, you'll often find players that are happy to make that step up. 
But in making that step up, they're quite understanding of the fact that that doesn't mean they're going to play every single week in the way, for example, Leandro Trossard, when fit and available prior to Roberto De Zerbi and their issues, was a, a, a shoo-in and was one of the first names on the team sheet. So, yeah, really, really interesting summer to come. And, of course, we're going to be keeping you across all the latest Arsenal transfer rumours, stories, all of that jazz um, over the summer. Um, going to make a few changes over the summer as well to the podcast. Um, just going to upgrade equipment. Going to try and make the, the recording qualities better. Um, going to up our game on social media. Um, going to try and, and build a new set over the summer. A proper studio set. Probably won't be here. Probably be somewhere else. So lots and lots um, that I want to do. And, um, and the summer gives me an opportunity to do that and to kind of sort of reset. So... Yeah, fingers crossed um, we managed to pull off all the ideas that I've got in my head. Um, we'll get to the end of the season now. We'll keep you across all the latest Arsenal news and stories. But come the summer, we're going to try and shake it up a little bit. And um, and yeah, and continue to grow, continue to push, continue to build this uh, this amazing community as well. But anyway, let's talk about the transfer stories. Uh, let's talk about the stories that have led to me sitting down and specifically planning out a podcast around them. So um, I've been speaking to uh, my colleague over at 90 Min uh, today, Graham Bailey, uh, transfer correspondent, really good guy. Um, got lots of contacts, um, you know, always uh, very, very active in the football world, knows what's going on. Um, and he has uh, given me some information on the Arsenal. Now, this is Graham's story, not mine. Um, I know that other outlets, other people have reported very, very similar things to this, which gives me more confidence um, in the story. That's not to say that I, I don't believe Graham's story. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, I think he's fantastic at what he does. And so I've got every reason uh, to feel confident in what he's telling me. But when you see it being picked up by others and you see others saying things, maybe not necessarily word for word the same, but similar, it does give you greater confidence in that um in that that story is is probably a, along the right lines and i'm a pessimist when it comes to transfer stories i always have been and i probably always will be because i don't like to get emotionally invested in transfers i don't like to pin my hopes on certain players knowing that my club could be looking at completely different players i think that's something i've been burnt by in the past i've spent summers looking at individuals, convincing myself how perfect they would be for Arsenal Football Club, only for another name to pop up completely out of the blue. And then I've been a little bit underwhelmed. And that's not necessarily fair on that player because I should be judging those players on their own merit. I should be judging those players based on how well they play for Arsenal Football Club. But you can end up at the end of a transfer window feeling underwhelmed or overwhelmed. Now, winning the transfer window doesn't mean an awful lot. Tottenham will tell you that because apparently they won the transfer window uh, in the summer. But um, it is nice to to see your club do business that you feel is good business. And it does give you a boost and it does give you a spring in your step going into a new season. There's no question about that in my mind. I think back to the summers where we've done what I deemed at the time to be very good business. My level of excitement going into the new season was was higher. Now, it's always there. There's always a buzz. Uh, when football returns and by the end of the window I'll be saying to you I can't wait for the football to restart because I'm sick of talking about transfer stories but football and and transfers you know 
it's a it's a strong bond it's a strong relationship and you know the way fans get into transfers is like it's never been before in my opinion and uh, and so yeah people are are looking forward to what this summer may or may not bring i guess um but anyway so according to the story on 90min.com uh, from Graham Bailey Arsenal have confirmed Arsenal sources have confirmed that they want another winger this summer. Now, I suspected that Arsenal were going to be in the market for a winger anyway. Um, we know that Arsenal have tried to sign a right winger on a couple of occasions over the past couple of windows, and they've not quite been able to get that over the line. Now, if you talk about the winger situation at Arsenal, I think that it's obvious that we need strengthening on the right-hand side, but not necessarily on the left-hand side. If you think about the options we already have at our disposal, you've got Gabriel Martinelli, who's currently holding down the place in the first team most of the time, had a magnificent season, fully deserves to be in that position and fully deserves to be the first uh, left winger on the team sheet. You look at the fact that we brought in Leandro Trossard, who has played as a false nine for us and done a very good job, who we know can play from the right-hand side and I'm sure would do a very good job, but who I believe still does his best work on the left wing. Now, one of the reasons Trossard was signed was because of his versatility and his ability to play right across the forward line. But I still think if you had to pinpoint a preferred and strongest position for Leandro Trossard, you're talking about left wing. Um, so, yeah, Leandro Trossard's there. Martinelli's there. Reese Nelson, for me, who, as we record this at the time, is still with the club, of course, but is being linked with a move away. We'll talk about that in a bit more detail later on. But Reese Nelson, for me, is much more effective from the left than he is from the right. And Emil Smith-Rowe as well, who I know a lot of people are talking about as playing in an eight position, maybe going forward. I don't quite see that. I see him very much as a wide player because that's where Mikel Arteta's wanted to play him before. Has that changed now that the, the team is a bit stronger in its core? Will we see that change? I don't know. It's difficult to say with Emil Smith-Rowe because he's played such little amounts of football in recent times. You don't really know where he fits into the picture right now. But the point I'm trying to make is that he could play from the left-hand side in a much more effective way. I think he was Arsenal's top scorer in the Premier League last season, playing from that left-hand side. Um, have I just made that up? I think he was our top scorer. I can't remember if it was in the Premier League or across all comps. But anyway, the point still stands. He was playing his best football in an Arsenal shirt from that left-hand side. So you're talking about three really good options there. And that's not even including Reese Nelson, just because I wonder if he's going to be here come the start of next season. But if you include him, that's four. But if you flip it to the right-hand side, our options are limited. You know, we've got Bukayo Saka there, who seems to play every game when fit and available. We've got Fabio Vieira, who's played there from time to time, but I don't think has, has done particularly well. Um, when he's played in that position, Marquinhos is out on loan at Norwich City. Will we see him return and fight for a place? I don't know that I've seen enough of him on loan to suggest that he's ready for that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? But the right side for me is clearly an area in which we need to strengthen. Now, there's been a few names mentioned. Um, one of them is Musa Diaby. Now, Musa Diaby is, of course, uh, playing his football in Germany at the moment, but is expected to leave. I'm just going to bring up some of his statistics 
on this season so I can give you a better picture and a better understanding of why exactly everybody is looking at Moussa Diaby and wants to sign him. Uh, right winger, 29 appearances in the Bundesliga this season uh, for his uh, current employers, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, and he has got nine goals and nine and eight assists, I beg your pardon. So that's 17 direct goal contributions. He's participated directly in 32% of Bayer Leverkusen's league goals this season. So he's a pretty impressive player. He's somebody that a lot of clubs are looking at. Um, he's somebody whose contract expires in 2025. So still a good couple of years on that by the time we get to the summer. But you'll feel like if Bayer Leverkusen are going to sell him and move him on for a substantial profit, they probably have to do it this summer rather than the next. Look at his stats in the Champions League this season. Six appearances, two goals in that competition, three goals and an assist in the six games that he's played in the Europa League and in the German Cup, one appearance, one assist. So if you look at his season overall and you put it all into one, uh, let me just change this filter to all competitions. Here we go. You are talking about a player, if this page ever loads. Um, come on, what's going on? Uh, there you go. You're talking about a player, 42 appearances, 14 goals, 10 assists. So 24 goal contributions in 42 games. That's more than one in two. But again, with Moussa Diaby, a bit like some of the options that we already have and that we've already discussed, he can play from the right wing. He can play from the left wing. He's been known to play as a second striker at times. I think he's played three times there uh, over the course of this season. He's been known to play in the attacking midfield position. I think he's done that twice, according to Transfermarkt. And he's even played at centre forward on occasion as well. Now, I'm not saying that I want someone necessarily, a, a, another someone who is going to be a, a player that we look to utilise in a multitude of different areas. But what I will say is that the versatility thing, I know it's important to Mikel Arteta and recent history tells us that. And so looking at the fact that Diaby's played in, in all those different positions and across the front line in multiple areas gives me confidence that he is someone that Mikel Arteta would like, theoretically speaking, even if you put um, these stories down as just being rumours at this moment in time. But according to Graham Bailey and according to some other outlets as well today, uh, Moussa Diaby has been approached or his people have been approached by Arsenal Football Club. And there is a willingness on the Gunners part to get this deal done. The issue is that for Moussa Diaby, there is going to be stiff competition. Now, according to Transfermarkt, he is valued at around about 50 million euros. But I'm sure Bayer Leverkusen will want more than that. And the fact that there will be competition for his signature puts them in a position whereby they can demand more money for him. So who are the competition? Well, we know for a fact that he's a long-standing target of Newcastle United. Newcastle United likely, very, very likely now to qualify for the UEFA Champions League next season. Is that going to be the trigger point for the Geordies in terms of spending big? Is this going to be the point where uh, the Saudi PIF look at the situation and go, well, you know what, we've been keeping our cards close to our chairs. We've been pretty conservative in the way that we've spent money so far, but everybody knows we've got it. So, hell, let's do it. Let's go out there and spend this. Let's go out there and try and take this team up to the next level. Moussa Diaby is a long-term target for them, and we know that they're in the market, according to various other reports, for a wide player. So I expect them to try for Moussa Diaby in the summer. 
Add to that, Paris Saint-Germain are being linked as well. Um, and again, you can find all of this uh, over on the 90min website. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are, of course, going to lose Lionel Messi this summer. That was announced yesterday. They have no intention of offering him a new contract. And we know that he's fallen out with the club, uh, having uh, gone on a, an unsanctioned trip to Saudi Arabia to meet some sort of obligations that he had in terms of a commercial deal. So Messi's going. And you'll find on the 90min website a story today also about Neymar. Uh, who could be leaving Paris as well. Where is Neymar going to end up? Well, go over to 90min.com because there's an interesting story on that coming out a little bit later on today. But that means that Paris Saint-Germain would be in the market for a winger. Now, he's French, born in Paris um, as well, just uh, just 23 years old, which makes him a huge appeal. And he also started out at Paris Saint-Germain. So perhaps they'd be looking to bring him back to the club. They sold him to buy a Leverkusen back in July 2019 for 15 million euros. They'd have to pay a hell of a lot more than that to bring him back. But I wouldn't dismiss that as a possibility either. So Moussa Diaby's people, according to reports, have been contacted by Arsenal. But that doesn't mean that this is a done deal. And that doesn't mean this is going to be an easy one to do uh, on top of that. Now, a couple of other names that have been mentioned as well with regards to Arsenal's uh, winger wish list, Rafinha who we tried to sign from Leeds United, but ended up joining Barcelona. We know that Barcelona are really badly cash-strapped, and we know that they're going to look to cash in wherever they possibly can just to keep things going. We understand as well uh, that, of course, Barcelona are looking at the potential and the possibility of bringing Lionel Messi back to the club. But what does that mean? That means they're going to have to relieve themselves of some big contracts. And Rafinha's is a pretty big contract, having joined from Leeds United, as we mentioned at the time, at the point where Arsenal was circling around him. Ferran Torres, another former Premier League player, uh, of course, spent some time at Manchester City, is another player that, again, continues to be linked with a move to Arsenal. And he's a player that we um, are said to like and a player that we've reportedly liked for quite a while. So, again, when I said that the names that we're hearing right now are quite familiar, he is another one that falls into that bracket, into that category. And again, with Ferran Torres, he's someone that we know can play right across uh, the forward line. Now, if we have a look at Ferran Torres' season so far, uh, we'll do the same with Rafinha as well, just briefly. But let's go over to Ferran Torres. Again, 23 years old, so fits the age profile that we're looking at. Valued by transfer market at around about 30 million euros, which makes him more affordable or cheaper uh, than Moussa Diaby. He's not got anywhere near the goal return or, or the assist return. 29 appearances in La Liga, four goals and one assist. But the problem has been he's only been in the starting 11 on 39% of their games. He's only played 42% of the minutes. And so when you factor that in, He's coming on in games which go down as appearances, but how long is he actually on the pitch for? Well, we can have a little bit of a deeper look into that as well uh, right now. Again, the page taking a little bit of a while to load. But I mean, just looking at this, um, you know, particularly at the start of the season, eight minutes, 27 minutes, 18, 10, uh, 27, 34, 32, 28. There's been a run of games, a run of about four games where he didn't play more than 10 minutes. He got seven minutes at home to Real Madrid um, back in March, 14 minutes against Osasuna uh, the other day. 
um, 57 against Rayo Vallecano, 22 against Getafe and 22 against Girona. So it doesn't, he doesn't play a lot, Ferran Torres. Now, people might look at that and say, well, if he's not good enough for Barcelona, then he's not good enough for us. He's not good enough for a team that competing at the top. But sometimes that can be the case, right? Sometimes someone is not quite a good fit somewhere, but can be a better fit somewhere else. And I feel like Ferran Torres is one of those. And if the investment required to bring him in isn't that significant, then it's maybe worth a gamble, worth a risk. I can't imagine he's on a major contract at Barcelona. But I'd imagine that it's still significant enough, given he went there from Manchester City, um, for them to want to to move him along and uh, and potentially bring some money in. So uh, that's that's Ferran Torres. If we have a quick look at Rafinha as well, his teammate. Hold on a second. Let me just find his profile as well on this uh, website, and I'll be able to give you a little bit more detail. Uh, on Rafini. While I'm doing that, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. There's plenty of you watching us live at the moment. So there's no reason uh, why you shouldn't have hit the like button. Make sure you're subscribed as well to the Chronicles of Aguna uh, YouTube channel. Make sure uh, you are subscribed to the podcast if you're listening on audio and please do leave us a review as well. But Rafinha, uh, 31 appearances uh, in La Liga this season. He's been in the starting 11 on 64 uh, or for 64% of their games. He's played 61% of the minutes, which is more than Ferran Torres. And he's certainly been more productive in front of goals. Seven goals for the former Leeds man, six assists. So that's 13 direct goal contributions in the 31 games. But again, not someone that starts every single game. A couple of assists in the Champions League, a goal and an assist in the Europa League. Two goals, two assists in the Copa del Rey. And uh, of course, he appeared in the Super Copa as well. For Barcelona. Now he's 26 years old, someone that can play on either flank but prefers playing from the right, someone that we know Arsenal had a serious interest in uh, before. So yeah, um, you know, it's um it, it's gonna be interesting to see if Arsenal do step up their interest and do go after uh, these names that have been mentioned. There's another name we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Uh, we're going to talk about a Premier League-based winger that Arsenal are also said to be at least keeping tabs on. We'll do that in just a second. We're going to take a very, very short pause. Uh, don't go anywhere. I'll be back. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. We're talking transfers today. Uh, transfer special right here on the channel slash podcast. Uh, we're breaking all the stories down. We're trying to make sense of them. We're trying to work out what Arsenal should be doing. Now, at the end of the season, I'm going to sit down and put together a bit of a shopping list. That'll be a special episode that we'll do. Um, but yeah, um, anyway, let's uh, let's move it on. I mentioned a couple of wingers there. Who else uh, is, uh, is on Arsenal's radar? And there is another familiar name, uh, according to this report, Wilfred Zahar. Now, the reason I'm a little bit sceptical about this one, about this particular mention, about this particular player, is because if we're talking about Arsenal wanting to go out and sign a right winger, then Wilfred Zahar doesn't really fit the bill for me because his best work has always come from that left-hand side. He loves to pick up the ball in, in very wide areas and he loves to carry the ball and drift in field. That's what Wilfred Zaha does. That's what he's made a career out of doing. But Wilfred Zaha will be available this summer on a free transfer. And I wonder if that tips the balance. Because that would be a deal that I think Arsenal could do pretty damn easily. Wilfred Zaha has wanted to join Arsenal before. 
it never materialised because Crystal Palace and Arsenal were a million miles apart, you could say, in terms of their valuation for the player. But, but he's expressed an interest in going to Arsenal Football Club before and there would be no middleman this time. There would be no club uh, sort of dictating to Arsenal what they can and can't do with regards to this player. So this is an interesting one to keep an eye on. But for me, is he the perfect fit? No, because of the point he's at in his career, number one. But also because of the fact that he predominantly plays from the left. And I don't think that's a position we need strengthening in. Now, maybe because I've banged on so much about Mikel Arteta's admiration and, and desire. for Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Versatility. He'll look at a winger as a winger and say, well, if you can play on the right, you can play on the left. And, and he might look at that with some players more so than others. And maybe the whole fact that Zaha's played all of his career pretty much on the left won't be an issue for him. It's an interesting one because of how easy that deal would be to do. But at the same time, um, but at the same time, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, let's say uh, a big hello to Manuel in the chat as well. Thank you so, so much, mate, for your very, very kind uh, super chat donation. He says, recent results plus Saliba's injury effect should help Arteta get more support from the ownership and boost the investment. Hello from Mexico, he says. Chronicles of Aguna is getting better and better along with Arsenal. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, thank you for the support. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the donation to the channel as well. Remember, if you want to support the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, you want to support me to bring you more content, but while you're doing that, support the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well. Uh, you can sign up to our platform on the Another Slice website. The link is in the description below. And if you join that link, uh, sign up on the platform, sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna. You'll be able to get access to our premium content, our post-match player ratings after every Premier League game. Um, and uh, and yeah, there'll be uh, more to come on there as well. But Manuel, thank you so, so much. A big hello to Moss as well, who's uh, joined us in the chat too. Uh, don't worry, we're going to do loads of questions. We're going to do all of that. Uh, if we have to run over the hour mark today, then we do. So what? There's lots to get through. Uh, there's lots to unpack. But before we move on, before we continue, I'm going to bring you guys a very, very quick message from Aspon. The Chronicles of Aguna podcast is currently brought to you by the good people over at NordVPN. Uh, what is NordVPN? It's a virtual private network service uh, whereby you can uh, browse the internet safely, but also you can play tricks on the old uh, the old internet. You can set yourself in different virtual locations, which unlock a number of benefits. So what are they? Well, first of all, if you surf the internet through NordVPN, if you're someone that's on the go a lot, if you're someone that uses public Wi-Fi quite a bit, you'd probably benefit from the safety uh, features that NordVPN brings to the table. Much more difficult to hack you, much more difficult to get a hold of any of your personal information if whoever is trying to do so has to go through the added firewall provided 
uh, by NordVPN service. I talked about geolocations, and that is a big, big deal for me. Uh, I love to watch uh, Greek TV, Greek football, uh, being of a Greek heritage, but in the UK, I'm limited to what I can see because of the geo blocks in place. So from time to time, if I want to watch something and I try and stream it from the TV channel's website, which is free, by the way, almost like the BBC iPlayer equivalent, I can't do that because I'm based in the UK. So what I need to do is log on to my NordVPN service and I need to change my virtual location to Greece or to Cyprus. And it will then allow me to watch those programs. Also, if I put my location to the US and I log into Netflix, I get access to a whole different load of programming. I can access subscriptions and services that I can't here in the UK by changing my virtual location. And it is all perfectly safe to do so. If I want to book flights, it's easier sometimes or cheaper sometimes to book it from the destination you will find. And if you change your location virtually, of course, to that destination, you'll be able to check the prices from that end as well. So those are just a handful of the benefits. And it costs the price of a cup of coffee per month. I'm sure you'll agree that the benefits are well worth it. I can certainly testify to that. I know a lot of others uh, use it regularly too. But if you do uh, think this is something for you, then of course, uh, use the link in the description below at nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles afc and you will uh, be able to get a huge discount on your plan as well as four additional months for free so do check it out big thanks to nordvpn for their support of the chronicles of aguna podcast right what we got what we got what we got we're talking transfers today we've talked about a load of players that arsenal have been linked with what about some of the players that could potentially be on their way now there's a lot of talk in recent weeks, about Emil Smith-Rowe. What is the deal with the Arsenal man? He's been out injured for a long time. He's come back. And the truth is, since he came back, contrary to, or, or despite, I should say, reports of him training really well, uh, looking pretty sharp, looking quite strong, the truth is he hasn't had a look in. Now, why is that? Is that because he's just fallen down the pecking order? as can happen when you're out for a long time and other players step up and improve and, and perform regularly? Or is he not part of the plan anymore? Now, I, a lot of people are suggesting that he isn't a part of the plan anymore. That Mikel Arteta doesn't quite fancy him in a footballing way, in the way that he used to. Um, but for me, I just think this is a case of a player who's been out for a while, hasn't been able to have an impact on the team. The team's progressed and, and, and got better and better and better. He's just fallen a little bit behind and he is going to have to do something. He is going to have to show whether that's on the training ground or when he does eventually get an opportunity. He's going to have to show something that makes Mikel Arteta go, yep, yeah, you're ready now and you're worthy of and you deserve a place back in the side. Now, he's been out for a long time this season. And Arsenal have achieved what they've achieved or, or been as competitive as they've been without him. So Arsenal have been at their best without him, close to their best without him. So now it's on him to prove to the boss and prove to everybody around that they need him. And how's he going to do that? Well, he can only do that by performing. So... We're going to have to see what happens with this one. Look, Arsenal gave him a major contract. Arsenal gave him the number 10 shirt. I don't think Arsenal are ready to give up on him necessarily. But are we eventually going to get to a point where Emil Smith-Rowe goes, hold on a minute, I need to play football. I am good enough and I'm not getting that here. So I want to move on. That's the interesting thing with this, isn't it? But no, nothing suggesting right now that he's going to leave. Nothing suggesting right now that... 
um, you know, his his time at Arsenal is over or that it's done or that we should be moving him on. But it doesn't look great for him right now, does it, in terms of his prospects? I mean, where does he come back into the team? Because when everybody's fit, he's not good enough to play in the midfield. Three, I don't think. And with Martinelli having gone up a few levels and with um, Bukayo Saka being such an important player, I, I don't really see where he fits in Arsenal as in Arsenal's team moving forward either. So, you know, obviously we need depth and we need a squad and we're going to need that even more than ever when we play in the Champions League next season. A lot of people say he's better than Fabio Vieira, ahead of Fabio Vieira, maybe. Um, in terms of his level right now. But clearly, Mikel and his staff see something in Fabio Vieira that maybe we're not seeing necessarily out on the pitch when he does get opportunities now. Maybe in training, he's fantastic. Maybe they see something in his game and his temperament that they believe they can turn into a really positive thing. They obviously rated the kid because they went out and spent 30, 35 million pounds on him. And, and I'd not really heard of him, to be honest, at that point. So... You know, you'd imagine that a lot of work and effort went into the identification of Fabio Vieira. And so the club are probably going to be that little bit more patient than maybe some of the fans would be. Um, but as for Emil Smith-Rowe, I don't believe he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going everywhere. Um, but we'll um, we'll see. We'll see. Guys, if, if you're trolling each other in the chat, like, just stop it. Like, just chat about the football. Just everyone be nice to each other. Like, what what is this? Um, just yeah, leave it. Um, because I will just block people from the chat. I did it the other day because I can't be bothered for it. This is a this is a community for Arsenal fans to chat, interact. Uh, not nobody deserves to come into this group. And I don't know who's the culprit because I I'm talking and I haven't read all of it. But just yeah, just leave it. Like it's not it's not needed. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's where I'm on Emil Smith Rowe. We know that Aston Villa were interested in him in the past. Will they revive that interest? What did Unai Emery think of him, who, of course, is in charge now of Aston Villa? Could that turn into something? We know Arsenal had a, an offer for him from Aston Villa in the past and they turned it down. Could that be something that happens in the summer? I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out completely, but at the same time, I'm not at the point yet where I believe that he is out the door or that Arsenal are really, really pushing for that. Um, Guys, just a quick one. Over a couple of hundred of you with me live right now, which is amazing. Uh, please do leave a like on the video. Can we get up to 100 likes? I think we've only got about 50 odd on the board right now. And that really, really does help uh, in terms of the algorithm on YouTube. So please, please do um, leave a like, subscribe, you know, the drill by now. OK, another player I wanted to talk about currently at Arsenal, but who may not be uh, wearing the famous red and white next season is Reese Nelson. What's the latest on Reese Nelson's future? Obviously had that really special moment against Bournemouth. And I think in recent months has always looked lively when he's been on the pitch, has always looked willing, has always looked um, useful, has always looked dangerous. There's a lot of positives about Reese Nelson, I would say. But is he ever going to be able to hold down a place regularly in this starting eleven, or is he always going to be that bit part player? And is he happy to always be that bit part player at this stage in his career? You've got to remember when it comes to Reese Nelson, and I'll just bring up his... Um, details now as I speak just to ensure that I'm giving you guys the actual facts but you know Reese Nelson's contract um, is due to expire at the end of the season okay it expires in June 2023 and he's 23 years old he's been out on loan spells you know he went to Hoffenheim 
He went to Feyenoord. Um, you know, he's done that bit. He's done that. So is he at a point now where he thinks, well, I'm 23. I've been on a couple of loans. I've been told to be patient. I've been exactly that. But there's still no clear pathway for me into the first team. And if not, am I better off moving on and am I better off going somewhere else? Now, the great thing for Reese Nelson, not for Arsenal necessarily, but for Reese Nelson on a personal level is that he's going to be a free agent in the summer, which means he can go wherever he pleases, which means there isn't that additional hurdle or uh, sort of requirement for a team to meet Arsenal's valuation of him. More teams will be interested, I'm sure, because he's available for free. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get a a pretty decent signing on fee but generally speaking he'll he'll have his pick and I think he has shown enough that we will see a number of clubs lining up for him and we're hearing a lot uh, at the moment about Brighton's interest in him that Roberto De Zerbi and Brighton feel like he is somebody that they could bring in and who could thrive at the Amex and I think that would be a really good move for him I think they play a good style of football a style of football that would suit him a lot a style of football I don't think he'd have any problems adapting to. Um, I think he'll score goals. I think he'll cause teams problems. I think he's a wonderful dribbler, really exciting, really explosive when he gets into those sort of areas. I think Brighton would be a good move for him, as I say. And from what we're hearing, he has rejected a contract offer from Arsenal. Now, we don't know why that is. We don't know the ins and outs of it. Is it because he hasn't been offered a role that he believes is you know, is significant enough? Is it because he's been offered a role that he doesn't feel represents his value as a player and and where he should be? Or is it a financial thing? Or is it a bit of both? The truth is we don't really know. But I don't suspect, given what Arsenal tend to pay, that finances would be at the head of this. If I was to hazard a guess, I would probably suggest that Reese Nelson wants more in terms of game time I know there are no guarantees in football, but probably wants a little bit more persuading that he will get more minutes going forward. I I think there's a lot here. Um, But yeah, I think think we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, Who is this S1 Productions in the chat, man? Get lost. See you later. Blocked. Goodbye. Um, Sayonara. Anyway. um, Yeah, so... I think that he leaves. I, I really do. I, I can't see him staying. I, I just can't see it. I can't see everybody being satisfied. I can't see a world in which everybody's satisfied. You know, we're talking about bringing in another winger in the summer, which only adds to the problem that Reese Nelson has currently. And when I was talking about that group of players that play on the left wing, you know, I, I sh- look, Reese Nelson can play from the right and he has played from the right. But I really, really, really do believe that he's better um playing from that left hand side then he is from the right i think he's so much more effective and almost you know yeah you'd say well a winger can play on either side as i sort of briefly sort of mentioned earlier on but you know he will want to play in his best position wouldn't he and as would anybody so yeah um i think if i were Reece Nelson, i'd probably I, it would be heartbreaking because he's an arsenal boy and he loves the club and it's a big club and he's experienced some brilliant moments I mean that moment against Bournemouth would have really topped it off you know for him that would have been really really special for a young man um, who has such a strong affiliation to the club and it's always difficult isn't it to leave a club that you love and and to accept that it isn't going to work out there for you 
but he's a fantastic player, a fantastic talent, and I truly believe he deserves more opportunities than he's getting at Arsenal. That's not because I'm going to criticise the manager because the manager's got some wonderful options in that position and that makes it very, very difficult. But if I were him, I'd, I'd probably look at um, moving on. But yeah, anyway, uh, what else have we got? Um, do, 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 do. Uh, Declan Rice. Is Declan Rice coming to Arsenal? There's been more stories about that, more rumours about that, more suggestions that this is more and more likely. Declan Rice in an Arsenal shirt. Wouldn't that be fantastic? We could have done with Declan Rice at the Etihad yesterday to help West Ham uh, out against Manchester City. But obviously he was one of the players uh, struck down by a bug um, and struck down by illness. So he was unavailable. Uh, but is he coming to Arsenal? Well, we keep hearing that preliminary discussions are ongoing with Declan Rice's people, that Declan Rice wants to move to Arsenal, that he's up for the move to Arsenal. I would love to have him. Um, but again, this would be a prime example of what I was saying earlier, whereby, you know, you've got to weigh up what you need now. So do you want two central midfielders who cost in the region of 40 to 45 million pounds? Or do you want one who's going to cost £70 million probably, that is of a higher calibre. This is the point Arsenal are at now. They've been signing £30 million, £40 million players, £45 million players. The maximum they've gone to is about £50 million, I believe, on on a few of those uh, that we've managed to get in recently. The point here is that at some point you're going to have to break that. At some point, you're going to have to smash through that ceiling and spend spend more if you want to get the very, very elite players. But we also know how Arsenal operate. We know that Arsenal have to adhere to financial fair play. And we know that they've lost money in recent seasons, but continue to spend. So they're going to have to be wary of that. That's why I keep talking about the selling and the need to take good, strong business decisions, even if it means losing some of the players that we love and players that we adore. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I want Declan Rice. I want Moises Caicedo. I'd love both. I know some people are saying that Arsenal are going to try and get both. Right now, I can't see a world in which Arsenal go and spend, I don't know, 70 on, on Declan Rice and 70 on Moises Caicedo. And you know that Brighton aren't going to buckle when it comes to Caicedo because they held on to him um, over the course of uh, the January window when we were trying really, really hard. Add to that, he's tied down to a new contract which means that his value in their eyes will be even higher because of the longevity of that contract, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if there's some sort of agreement in place between Caicedo and Brighton and Hove Albion with regards to what happens if a Champions League club comes in because of the fact that I find it hard to believe he was keen to go and now all of a sudden he was like, yep, yeah, actually, let me sign a new contract. It's probably something that's been done to protect him, to protect the player, uh, sorry, to protect the club's interests. I know he was on a shit salary as well, which obviously needed to be upped amidst the interest. But I just wonder if there's some sort of gentleman's agreement or maybe some sort of legal agreement that we're not privy to that would allow Moises Caicedo to leave for a certain price if the if a certain club of a certain calibre was to come in. Because um, I find it hard to believe that he would have agreed to sign that contract, given how keen he was to leave, if there wasn't something that protected him against Brighton going Nope, you're not going anywhere unless someone gives us a ridiculous amount of money. A bit like what Daniel Levy's done to Harry Kane, basically. Um, but yeah, 
that's uh, that's that. Uh, a couple of other bits of news uh, just to bring you guys as well. A couple of other bits of um, more general news uh, that we're going to touch on. We're going to do your questions uh, on this uh, in a few minutes' time. So start throwing them in the chat box. Pop a queue at the beginning of them, uh, and I'll pick out as many as I can in the allotted time. But um, just a quick update on Gabrielle Magalish's injury. Now, according to Kaya Kainak, it wasn't a hamstring problem, which is what a lot of people suspected it might be uh, as he came off of the pitch against Chelsea the other night. Kaya Kainak of Football London reports that it is indeed an ankle problem and that Gabrielle is expected to be OK for Sunday's trip to Newcastle. Thank God for that, because we will really, really struggle uh, up at St. James's Park anyway, let alone with Holding and Kivior as the central defensive partnership. I thought Kivio done okay uh, the other day against Chelsea. If you go back and listen to the uh, post-match podcast, you'll, you'll hear my takes and thoughts on him. But I also felt that it was difficult to really judge him too much given the, the lack of quality um, that he was up against. Now, not in terms of what those players have done in the past, but certainly in terms of their form at the minute. Uh, so that's that. Gabriel, positive update on his injury. Uh, Pablo Marie is, of course, close to joining Monza. There was a clause in his loan deal there that if they managed to stay in Serie A, that he would be signing for the club for around about five or six million quid, I think it is. Not major money, not significant money, but, you know, it's decent money given what we paid for Pablo Marie. So he is going to be joining uh, Monza imminently or as soon as the window is open and that's allowed to officially happen. I'm sure we'll get confirmation on that. The other thing I just wanted to quickly touch on was Sam Allardyce's um, press conference yesterday. Did anyone else find him in a really strange mood? I don't remember Sam Allardyce coming across like that. And what I mean by like that is the way he spoke, I thought, was quite patronising to, to the people asking the questions. I found him extremely overconfident. I, I know he's always been confident in his ability and he's always sort of spoken about the fact that maybe he gets a rough ride in terms of the way he's perceived. But I just found him unbearable yesterday listening to him um, in that press conference. Now, I'd love Big Sam to rock up at the Etihad at the weekend and get a result. Can't see it, but I'd love it to happen. But I just wanted to touch on the, the comment he made about Klopp, about Pep, about Arteta. He said, I'm not saying I'm better than them, but... I'm as good as them in terms of my football knowledge and all of this. I just thought that was a wild thing to say. Talk about piling the pressure on yourself. This is a man who was obviously hurt by what happened with the England job. It was a situation of his own making. I haven't got any sympathy for him. It was a stupid, stupid thing to do. But he is now trying to kind of, I think, not get his own back, but he's hurt by that. He feels bitter about that, about the way the papers went after him and about the way uh, he was sort of relieved of the England job straight away off the back of that. He feels like he's he's had a, a, a bum deal and and he's trying to kind of make the point that he believes he is good enough and that there are other factors at play with regards to why he's not been working, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, really, really strange comments. Um, for those of you who didn't catch it, as I say, he said he was as good as Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta. And the funny thing about it is it's not like he was asked a question about it. It's not like he was asked, do you see yourself as being as good as those managers? In which case, you would back yourself, wouldn't you? Because you've come into a football club. Your job is to galvanise the group and get them to follow you and believe in you. So why would you undersell yourself? You wouldn't. But the fact that he volunteered that comment, I thought was really strange. 
really bloody strange. But anyway, uh, right, let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts. Going to take a very, very short pause, and then we're going to pick out a few of those from the live chat. Start getting them in. Okay, what have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Um, do, do, do. Uh, Ambrose West says, Caicedo, Rice, and Diaby. What does that budget look like? Hmm. Let me think. So if we're talking in the region of 75, no, let's start again. So I don't think West Ham are going to ask for or are going to want as much money as they would have wanted two years ago for Declan Rice because of their situation, because of how poor their season's been. I know they could still win the Europa Conference, but you know they're still not mathematically safe, which is not what I expected from them going into the campaign, given how good they've done over the last couple of years. So that puts West Ham in a weaker position in terms of what they can demand. Declan Rice's contract has run down a further year, and I think Declan Rice has been more than patient enough with them. So he probably has a bit of weight in this now. Let's say that Declan Rice costs... 65 million pounds, which I think is around about the mark that you might get him for now. It'd probably be slightly more than that, but I'm talking best case scenario here, 65 million pounds. Let's talk about Moises Caicedo. Now, I'd imagine that he's probably worth, if Declan Rice is worth that, around about the same. So 65 plus 65, you're talking about 130 million pounds. And then with Diaby, I'd imagine that you're going to probably pay about 60 million euros based on what I've been reading. So then you're talking, what, 53, 52, 53 million pounds. So 130 plus the 53, you're probably looking at about 183 million pounds to get those three players in. I don't think Arsenal will get all three of those players because of that reason. If you can start to sell people like Fuller in Balligan, for example, for 35, 40 million euros, then you're slowly eating into that. You know, if you can offload Nuno Tavares for, for £10 million, if you can offload Nicolas Pepe for, I don't care how much, you just need to offload him. If you can get 10 15 £20 million for him. You know, there's a few players that we've got out on loan right now that we could earn a bit of money from that start to chip away at that price that we need. You know, throw in the, the 40 £50 million that we stand to gain from being in the Champions League. I know that a lot of that, will go towards the the improved contracts that the players will be on as their clause, their Champions League clause kicks in, which means their wages increase. So I'm aware of that as well. Um, but, you, you know, you can start to eat away at that figure. It looks like an outrageous figure at the start, but you can eat away at that if you do good, smart business elsewhere. But we need to get smarter. We need to get better at those things. You know, we, we really, really do uh, because we haven't been good at these things in the past and it's put us in a difficult position and in a difficult situation let's take a few more of your questions let's take this one from steve who says harry if we indeed finish second to city although not a failure in my opinion would you agree it will be looked on looked upon as a missed opportunity yeah um it will be looked at as a missed opportunity but failure and missed opportunities are not the same thing i think you highlight that basically in the way that you asked that question uh, and i think you're absolutely spot on it's not the same thing Failure is one thing. A failure is is failing to achieve what your baseline was. Missing an opportunity is failing to take full advantage of a situation, but still achieving what you 
set out to in a lot of cases and in a lot of situations. So, yeah, I mean, you will look at it that way. And, and a lot of people will look at it that way because of how poor Liverpool have been, because of the fact that Man United are still rebuilding, because of the fact that Chelsea have been uh, dreadful all season. For those reasons and, and, and based on those factors, yeah, I can understand why people would say that. But I always say that an opportunity is only it's only meaningful if you're good enough to take it. You know, that's, you know, I might have, I might bump into Margot Robbie one day, you know, that's an opportunity to ask Margot Robbie out on a date. But if I'm not good looking enough for her to go, to agree to go on a date with me, then is it really a missed opportunity? No, because I wasn't going to achieve it in the first place. <laughs> Shit analogy. I know, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, you got to be good enough to take advantage of a situation. Last season, we had an opportunity to get in the top four because of the situation around us. I didn't think we were there in terms of our development as a football team, but we had an opportunity because of what was going on in the league around us. But we weren't good enough to take that opportunity. Um, and, and, and so that opportunity becomes kind of irrelevant, I guess. Um, let's take this one from Moss. Um, if we are bringing in two or three midfielders, then Harry, should we not think selling maybe Xhaka or Jorginho, keep Patino and ESR for me somehow? Um, uh, I wouldn't sell Granite Xhaka. You know, I wouldn't sell Jorginho either. You know, you're not going to get massive money for Jorginho. He's only a £10 million investment. You're not going to get much when it comes to Jorginho. So I'd rather keep him around for as long as we think he's able to do a job in the squad. Granite Xhaka, I wouldn't sell Granite Xhaka. I know a lot of people think we can upgrade. I think we should be upgrading as well as keeping him. I don't think it should be sign a left-sided eight and kick Granite Xhaka to the curb. I, I don't see it like that. I really don't. I think he's done so well this season. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I... I would like to see both of those two stay, but obviously I want signings to come in as well and enhance the squad. Keeping Patino, in an ideal world, I'd like to keep Charlie Patino, but we did a, a, an episode on this the other day. I mean, it is what it is with Charlie Patino. If he wants to go, and, and I understand that he's the one pushing this, let him go. You know, he hasn't done enough to prove himself worthy of a place at Arsenal Football Club. No matter how talented he is, no matter what he's shown at youth level, at senior level, he's not there yet. We cannot gamble on on this idea of not bringing in midfielders because we're worried about blocking Charlie Patino's path because we haven't seen enough from him yet to suggest that he's worth us doing that for. Now, he could be in the years to come, but he isn't today. And this is where I come uh, from when I'm talking about the need to be ruthless and the need to be uh very um you know very shrewd in these decisions uh on my margot robbie comment chris says not with that attitude harry yeah true you gotta believe in yourself wandering minstrel says that uh, j-lo now not on your list harry j-lo will always be on my list i just thought i'd, I'd shake it up a little bit do it a little bit differently uh, matt says uh harry i'm watching the show with my missus less of the dating talk please mrs matt g good to see you um thank you for joining us um yeah sorry it was just an analogy it was just an analogy. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Dugi Dav says, Martin Zubimendi to Arsenal. 
again, a player that we've been linked with, a player whose name seems to repeatedly come up, but, you know, not a player that I know we're anywhere close to signing. So I quite like him. Um, very technical player, good ball player. Um, totally different profile to Caicedo or Rice. So if you're looking at Azubimendi and maybe one of those, that makes a bit of sense. But if you're looking at Zubimendi instead of Rice or instead of Caicedo, that doesn't really make an awful lot of sense to me. But we're going to have to wait and see. Look, we're going to have plenty of time over the course of the next few months to speculate, to predict what may or may not happen, uh, to discuss the suitability of some of these uh, rumoured transfer targets. We'll be doing all of that over the course of the summer. But I did want to do a transfer-specific show today. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, thank you to everyone who's watched it live, who's listened to it. Um, on the podcast platforms. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave reviews, all of that stuff. Check out NordVPN as well, who we are very kindly sponsored by. The link is in the description. And uh, of course, if you want to support the podcast and you want to have access to more content, you can do so by signing up to the Chronicles of Aguna Premium on another slash platform. Again, the link is in the description below. I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I think my dinner's ready. I'm starving. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. It's been a really, really busy week. Looking forward to having a bit more of a chilled one this weekend than I normally have. I'll still be working, but it won't be as wild as normal. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Can't wait. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.